you're holding, uh, you know, treasuries or cash, you're getting, you know, gradually devalued uh, with the risk of, you know, a, a more sudden devaluation event uh, and very little upside. And so I think basically there's a, there has been a good case for the past couple of years, at least, to substitute part of a, a bond portion of a portfolio uh, with gold. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with economic analyst Lynn Alden. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Lynn, in which she gives her outlook on the U.S. dollar specifically and fiat currencies in general, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that Lynn and our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. Oh, and if you haven't done so yet, please don't forget to subscribe to this channel by clicking the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And now, here is part two of our interview with Lynn Alden. Great. Well, let, let's move on quickly to uh, commodities here. I specifically actually want to talk about precious metals, but you mentioned commodities earlier. Um, I, anything you might want to say about them, because I suspect that some of these um, sectors you're talking about that are that are undervalued relative to the rest of the market may be a lot of the commodity producers. I think most people watching have seen that chart that we've put up many times in the past that show the relative value of the commodity complex to the S&P. And uh, it, you know, it's beginning to start heading towards the mean, but it's it's got a long, long way to go still. Um, so specifically, uh, so say whatever you want to say about commodities in general, but specifically about precious metals, um, you know, more in more conventional investors, guys that didn't uh, weren't gold bugs, didn't really invest in gold before, perhaps at all. Um, thinking of folks like you know billionaire Sam Zell, but there's been a parade of other billionaires that have followed him recently, um, are moving into the precious metals. Um, you know, and, and I guess the question is, is you know, it, it, do, do they see something coming that the rest of the world hasn't woken up to? I mean, a lot of folks watching here already kind of know the general case for precious metals, but. I've been hearing a lot, both from today's conference speakers, but just a lot of the folks I've been interviewing on the program here over the past couple of months that they see gold and really silver even more so better positioned both technically and fundamentally than they've seen it in years, if not decades. Um, do you see similarly? I do. I think this is, this is still a really good environment for gold and silver. Uh, I became bullish on them starting in late 2018. And, and it, we've had some corrections along the way, but I think that this, this overall bull market is still intact. And basically, you know, if you look at back in 50 years of data, gold's strongest correlation uh, inversely is with with uh, real interest rates. Uh, and so, if you could hold a 10-year treasury and get paid 7% while inflation's 4%, that's not a bad deal for for a relatively safe asset. But if inflation's you know 3% even, but the treasury yield is only paying you 1%, well, suddenly that's a that's a really terrible asset to own, and suddenly a zero-yielding scarce asset like gold is a lot more attractive. And so what I think a lot of these investors are seeing is that, you know, we, we've been in an environment for a long time of negative real rates in the front end of the curve, uh, and that's still likely to persist for a long period of time. The Fed is specifically uh, willing to let inflation overshoot their target uh, while holding rates low. And so if you're, you're, if you're holding, uh, you know, treasuries or cash, you're getting, you know, gradually devalued uh, with the risk of, you know, a, a, more, a more sudden devaluation event uh, and very little upside. And so... I think basically there has been a good case for the past couple of years, at least, to substitute part of a, a bond portion of a portfolio uh, with gold, because you get similar defensive characteristics with an inflation hedge, and it basically diversifies that risk. So you don't have, say, a whole 40% of your portfolio sitting there in, in treasuries or something like that. 
And so I do think that, that you know, gold has historically been a good diversifier, especially in this type of environment with negative real yields. The other big correlation that gold follows is, is broad money supply growth. And the year, year 2020 had the biggest percent increase in broad money supply since the 1940s. And so a lot of investors have watched that and are paying attention to that. And so I, I do think that you know, going forward, gold and silver and other precious metals are well positioned. And then if you look at it in the in the broader commodity space, you know, I think that's one of those things where you can, you know, because it's a very volatile sector, you can get ones that are temporarily overheated uh, and things like that. So for example, you know, copper and lumber have, have been really consensus trades for, for a while. That might, you know, that might be cooling off to some extent. But for example, energy is still a very, very hated sector. Uh, for the most part, and there are other types of commodities out there that are just not very well loved. And so overall, I think that you know the market might be excited about commodities in kind of the, the near term, but the the market is still not you know positioned for a multi-year commodity run. And and I think that's actually pretty likely to happen. And so for example, I, I I'm pretty bullish on energy companies. I'm pretty bullish on some of the industrial metals companies, and I do think that they play a really valuable role in in, in today's portfolio. Yeah, I mean, I think the for some reason a lot of investors forget that that there's no it, the economy can't do anything without energy, right? So when energy is underpriced, um, it's usually a sign that uh, you know something important's on sale. Um, also, a lot of the uh, the more recent stimulus packages, you know, the who knows if it's, who knows it's going to pass, but you know, Biden just passed a six or just proposed a six trillion dollar one. Um, those are all to build things. Right, and uh, we had Rick Rule in the program not that long ago talking about just sort of the structural supply shortages that are going to emerge. Um, so even on those base metals, like you're talking about, you know, the, there's certainly a big tailwind uh, against that sector. Um, all right, uh, God, there's so much I want to talk to you about this. We're just crunched for time, but I will squeeze in this one last question about precious metals because you mentioned something really interesting that uh, you see gold as a good kind of bond substitute in a portfolio given current conditions you know when you think about the general sort of 60 40 um positioning of most portfolios out there you know the average portfolio has almost no gold in it right and it wouldn't take many percentage points uh of what are currently allocated into the traditional portfolio and in bonds into gold to just make gold explode is that is that correct yeah, pretty much. And if you look at, you know, the, the global market cap that's estimated to exist for gold is, is, you know, 10 to 12 trillion. But when you factor out central bank balance sheets and a couple other purposes, you really only have, you know, a few or, or several trillion dollars in, in, in gold as an investment. And that's out of a sea of assets that are hundreds of, of trillions. And so it's a really small percentage of most investors' portfolio. And so, for example, if you were to see pensions all want to do a 5% weighting, uh, that's a ton of capital floating into the space, let alone if every millionaire wanted to have a, a five or ten percent allocation. Uh, and then retail investors, you know, jump on when when the price when the price is in their favor. And basically, if, if most people want that that you know non-zero position or more than a one percent position, uh, basically that that's a problem for price uh, in a good way. Uh, and so overall, I I do think that the, basically there's more upside for gold with a say a three to five year view than the downside. And so that's why I'm, I'm willing to kind of hold through downside periods because I still think structurally uh, gold is really attractively priced here. And mostly what, you know, in, in terms of timing, you know, I, I basically, you know, it follows the broad money supply generally over the long term, but those those changes in real interest rates uh, really set the tone for, for basically, uh, you know, whether or not gold is going up and down in any given quarter. And so really what gold likes to see is negative real interest rates that are also getting even more negative. That's kind of the best possible environment for gold. And so if people are ever confused about why gold might be correcting or might be popping, a lot of it is if you look at real interest rates, that can often tell you 
uh, basically what's happening. And gold can either front run those a little bit by a couple of weeks or can lag those by a couple of weeks. But overall, there's a very, very strong correlation there. All right. Well, I hate to do this, but I am going to ask you to sort of summarize your perspective on the cryptocurrency space in just a couple of minutes, which is very, very unfair. Um, but a lot of the reasons we were just talking about gold, obviously people are, are attracted to the cryptocurrencies. Um, sort of like your discussion of a lot of capital going into a small market. Um, we've seen the prices of the crypto complex explode you know, since the beginning of the year. Uh, they've come down a bit, maybe even a little more than a bit, you know, 50 plus percent for a lot of them. Um, but before I ask you about the price action, can you just sort of comment on your general outlook on cryptocurrency, um, both the technology and store value and, and all that stuff? Is it something that you you see a, a bright future for or what's your latest outlook? So I, I view Bitcoin, for example, as an emergent store of value. So it's, it's because of its volatility, it, it's kind of currently being in the, in the process of finding its total addressable market. So it's a very volatile asset. So it's basically technically it is a store of value that can be self-custodied and basically held outside of the system similar to gold uh, but because it's so volatile it's more like it's an investment in the idea that it's becoming a store of value rather than one already except for people that are really hardcore with it and kind of just completely ignore that volatility uh, and so basically when I when I first analyzed the crypto space in, in detail back in 2017 I passed on it it was it was late in that cycle we had that really euphoric price action it basically made it so it was a big enough asset that, that someone like me that looks at multiple asset classes, it, it, it basically became on my radar. And But the combination of euphoric price action and the big dilution uh, among all these different altcoins and everything really kind of put me off the space and I, I, I passed on it. But in early 2020, I became bullish on Bitcoin uh, because you know the, the biggest downside of cryptocurrencies is unlike, say, fiat currencies that they're, they're mandated to be used by a government. And then you have... Uh, precious metals, where there's only a handful of precious metals, you can't make more of them. Uh, you know, you can basically, they're, they're each limited to how much we can extract from the earth. Uh, you can't just make a whole new precious metal to compete with the existing ones. There's only so uh, many elements on the periodic chart. Yeah, exactly. And so the, the downside of cryptocurrencies is that anyone can make a new one. And that threatens the value proposition, even if each each individual currency has some degree of, of you know, scarce monetary policy. And so really what it comes down to is whether or not one or two of them can develop a strong enough network effect uh, where the you know that that long tail of thousands of other currencies don't matter. Kind of like how if a certain technical pr uh, protocol takes over, like the whole internet runs on you know TCP/IP, it doesn't matter if there's like copycats out there because it's the, the network effect is so strong that this 50-year-old technology has become the foundation of the internet and is really kind of still going. And so the question is w basically whether Bitcoin's network effect is sufficient enough. Uh, to allow it to kind of you know keep capturing the majority of the market share in that space, or if just the on you know the the deluge of competitors will chip away at it. And so basically, what I do is I I look at all the kind of the major currencies, I figure out what made Bitcoin successful other than first mover advantage and and basically the path dependence. And overall, I am I am pretty bullish on Bitcoin as a you know kind of a a portion of a portfolio that is adjusted for volatility uh, and basically adjusted for someone's conviction in the asset class. And so. You know, there are people that, that go really hardcore and they put all their net worth in it or something like that. Whereas I, I take a step back and I say within the grand scheme of portfolio, along with my equities, along with precious metals, uh, I do like having a Bitcoin slice in there. And I think that it so far it's, it's improved the risk adjusted returns of the portfolio. And I am, I am pretty optimistic on the technology, but my, my, basically my main risk analysis or basically the thing I'm always critical on is, is the network effect basically strong enough to kind of hold back all these competitors?
Yeah, and it sounds like your answer for the time being is yes, and that's why you're putting your money into Bitcoin. As an FYI, I just had a recent interview with Dan Larimer, who is a very early pioneer in, in the Bitcoin space. I asked him that same question, and he he does believe that Bitcoin and Ethereum are basically too big to be displaced at this point in time, uh, at least brand wise. You know, they, they they may swap out their technology stack over time for better technology, but but those are going to be the winning brands in his mind. And again, nobody's got a crystal ball. Who knows what's going to happen? But he seems to agree with with you. Um, I'm just curious if you don't if you're comfortable sharing a ballpark. What what sort of you know, you mentioned having a slice in a portfolio? What what do you think is a prudent slice uh, for Bitcoin in a well diversified portfolio right now? Are we talking low single digits or something higher than that? I think for most people, yes. I'm basically my my case since early 2020 has been that that probably you know non-zero is is appropriate now, and that that can mean different things for different people. Basically, I think that. One or two percent at minimum makes makes sense for a lot of people once they understand it, uh, and then of course some people are very high conviction on it, and so they can dial it up. And so uh, I think five percent is reasonable for someone who is you you know pretty solidly bullish on it. Going up to you know ten or more percent can make sense, uh, but then once you get into really high levels, that's when you can have these these big drawdowns that start affecting your your overall portfolio. Another challenge that it's a really good problem to have, but another challenge that crypto investors have is that say they, they bought Bitcoin as a 5% position. You get a rebalance. It, yeah, but then it went up dramatically and it's kind of like, well, do you trigger all these capital gains or do you let that portion run or do you, you kind of keep that separate? And so that, you know, basically your starting position is not necessarily, uh, you know, something you have to maintain all the time. But you know, basically taking into account tax efficiencies, takes, taking into account your conviction level, I think there's a pretty broad range of what percentages are, are, are reasonable. And just overall, overall, my view is kind of you know, basically have it as a slice. Got it, got it, yeah. Uh, I mean, overall, it's a high quality problem to have if today's gains yeah. keep continuing. Um, all right, sounds like you're saying don't put 100% of your portfolio in Dogecoin. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, Last question about Bitcoin, cryptos in general. Um, for those that are considering entering, um, I think a lot of their big question is just, hey, you know, looking at the price action this year, these things have gone up so much. Uh, you know, do they do they need to correct further? The space has a long history of of you know eighty plus percent corrections. Um, do you have any concerns about excessive speculation in the prices of the cryptos at current levels? Uh, so I did a couple months ago, I've been writing about that in my research service, where I was kind of separating the fact that I'm long term still bullish on Bitcoin, but that it, it increasingly became a less asymmetric trade than when I when I started kind of pounding the table in that position in, in early 2020. Uh, and so basically, after you had that strong rise, I was kind of saying, I still don't think this bull market's over. But you know, we start to get things like Dogecoin, uh, you know, basically, you know, being mentioned on Saturday Night Live or like, yeah, basically Uber drivers kind of trading cryptos while they're while they're driving people around. That's when the whole space gets really frothy. Uh, and so overall, the, the the big correction we had, if you look at, for example, Bitcoin's price history, this 50 percent correction, what you know, puts it in the top six of, of all time Bitcoin corrections. Uh, and so it's at the point where a lot of the froth has been removed. Uh, the consensus is is pretty bearish on it now, especially for people that are that are outside of the crypto space that are looking in on it. They look at that chart and they say that's bearish and think it's going lower. Uh, and so overall, I don't have a strong case about what it's going to do in a, in a quarter or two. Uh, but overall, I do think that it's, you know it's not a bad time to if someone feel like, feel like they missed out on previous price action to then look at the current weakness uh, and say you know maybe the top you know Bitcoin or maybe the top two and say I want to have a small slice at that current time. And overall, you know, one of my main kind of focuses on 
on price, you know, basically forecasting in the loose sense, is I look at some of the things that are happening on chain. So our, our long-term holders selling or buying, uh, you know, basically who's buying, who's selling. Uh, basically, you can, you can kind of analyze. That, that's kind of the interesting thing about the blockchain is that you have these ways to look at it and analyze the data and see, you know, what type of our exchanges are, is more more coins coming to exchanges or leaving exchanges. Uh, is basically short-term traders that sold, and, and or basically there's there's kind of different groups you can monitor to see how they're behaving. Another thing you can do is look at um, demand, uh, the big demand drivers. And so for a couple quarters, part of that big price increase was that you had a lot of grayscale buying. So the big grayscale Bitcoin trust, and part of that was natural buying, but another big chunk of that was arbitrage traders, where they would buy GBTC, but then they were short Bitcoin, and they basically would extract that premium. That, that Grayscale has over, over Bitcoin. Uh, but because that premium turned into a discount due to increased competition from other types of funds, uh, that overall, that that uh, neutral trade pretty much went away. And I think that had a lot to do with this, this big kind of price correction that we've had uh, in the space. Uh, basically, it basically set the stage for some of these other more temporary factors like Elon's comments and things like that to drive down the price. And so I think that the key to look out for next is to see what, is, what are the next sources of demand? And I think overall, one of them might, for example, be Bitcoin rewards cards. You see, for example, uh, companies like Fold or BlockFi uh, are issuing these cards where you basically every every purchase, you get more Bitcoin. And then you have a company like Nidig that's partnering with banks to have Bitcoin rewards cards. And so, you know, if you if you kind of see that starting to take off, that's another you know potential leg up for demand. And so I just kind of keep monitoring the space and, and look for setbacks uh, or advancements in the network effect of, of, of Bitcoin and some of the other protocols. God, super fascinating. So want to earmark that for when we have you on again, Lynn, to really dive into, you know, what are the applications of the technologies um, and the business models uh, that you find most exciting going forward? Um, but we don't have time now. We got to wrap things up. Um, as we do, uh, for folks that are interested in learning more about you and your work, where should they go? Uh, so I'm at lindalden.com. I have a lot of free material. I have, I have a, a public newsletter that you can sign up to. I also have a low cost research service and I'm active on Twitter at Contact. Awesome. And we'll put those URLs up on the screen when we edit this. Um, Lynn, thank you so much for joining us for this conference. Phenomenal discussion. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, if you enjoyed that conversation with Lynn Alden, and I think most of us did, uh, she's uh, incredibly sharp. Um, she has a lot more to say about her thoughts on the future of the global reserve currency system uh, in a white paper that she's made available to us for you to download. Um, that is called The Fraying of the U.S global currency reserve system um, in which she gives both her intermediate outlook on the future of the dollar versus other major global currencies, uh, but also her long-term outlook, which she sees as a slow restructuring towards a multi-reserve asset system. And if you're interested in reading that presentation, uh, really more of a of a, a nice long white paper on her part, um, you can get that at wealthion.com slash currency. All right. And as I do every week, I'm now going to talk with the lead partners at New Harbor Financial, the endorsed financial advisor uh, by Wealthion. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking with lead partner, Mike Preston. Hey, Mike, how are you? Hello, Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And I understand that John is off on a well-deserved vacation. And folks, you'll see here that, that I'm actually on vacation as well. You can tell by my different background here. Uh, we're recording this right before the July 4th weekend. Uh, so I think John's already well off enjoying that with his family. He deserves to do that. Um, you were taking vacation a few weeks back, Mike and John covered for you. So 
now you get to cover for John. Um, well, mm -hmm. let's just jump right in here. Um, really love to hear your thoughts on what Lynn had to say. And I was struck by how much of sort of her outlook seemed to really be complementary to the outlook and the portfolio positioning that you guys have at New Harbor. But don't let me put words in your mouth, Mike. Why don't you let us know what you think? Yeah, I really enjoyed Lynn's presentation. Um, she talked about a lot of common themes that we talk about. Um, a couple things that stand out that I guess are worth mentioning that I'll, that I'll recap with here. Lynn talked a lot about a, a very overvalued stock market. There's a number of different ways you can look at valuations. Not all of them are equal. Sometimes valuation metrics are used to, um, to distort the truth maybe. Uh, I mean, if you look at, for instance, like uh, trailing 12 month or forward 12 month price earnings ratios, they are notoriously deceiving. Even those ratios look extremely overvalued, but um, we think that they really understate just how overvalued this market is. Um, we, we like to use different metrics such as the Buffett indicator, which is the total value of the stock market divided by the total economy, GDP. Lynn talked about that as being the number one most overvalued time in history, which is true. Other things like the Schiller price earnings ratio or the margin adjusted price earnings ratio, uh, the Schiller margin adjusted ratio are to add either the first or second uh, most overvalued of all time. So we've been saying this for a long time. This is the first time that I know of in history that we've been this persistently overvalued for this long without consequence. So it has everybody feeling like this time is different, almost bulletproof, like the Titanic. You know, this market is unsinkable. We talk to people all day long, every day, every week, and there's a lot of feeling out there Number one, of, of, of there, there's this uh, uncomfortable feeling that things aren't quite right. A lot of folks that we talk to are already out of the stock market, which is great. Others aren't, and they look to us for coverage to get out, which we do for them. Uh, but make no bones about it. This is the most overvalued stock market in history. Uh, Lynn also talked about uh, being bullish on um, commodities. Although she said the stock market was overvalued, except for a couple pockets like international and oil, which we agree with. She likes commodities long term and gold and silver in particular, which we're fully on board with. The first thing we want to do for, for people when they come on board with us is make sure they have gold and silver. And that's not normally in our managed account. We just want to make sure they have it preferably delivered to them or somewhere they can get their hands on. So gold and silver uh, and other commodities we think are in a long term secular secular bull market. She also talked about lower dollar post COVID and that certainly has played out over the last year uh, because of loose fiscal and monetary policy, but we think we're entering a period of stronger dollar. Believe it or not, it's, comple it's completely counterintuitive uh, with all of the reckless uh, money printing we've had, but the dollar actually looks to strengthen here in the next year or two from a technical perspective. Long term, we think it's inevitable the dollar really has pressure, maybe even collapses. But um, here in the next year or so, probably some strength uh, and even some deflationary forces. So that's what we that's what we see. There's more to that talk. I want to take a breath and stop talking myself for a minute and allow you a moment, Adam. But uh, those are some recaps that I enjoyed. All right, great. Yeah, Lynn did say something about gold that I, I hadn't heard many people say before. Um, and I actually think it is interesting to maybe just spend a minute talking about here, which is gold as a bond, as a bond substitute in a extremely low to zero interest rate world, right? So when bonds aren't yielding 
much return at all uh, like they are right now, much yield at all like they are right now. Um, you know, precious metals look better on a relative basis, right? One of the criticisms of them is that they don't produce a yield. Yeah, well, bonds aren't really producing a yield right now, right? But there's a lot more safety that comes along with precious metals because there's no counterparty risk the way that there is with bonds. And, you know, Lynn mentioned that, that um, both technically and fundamentally, she agrees that uh, the precious metals are very well positioned right now. And as she looks out uh, with her macro lens, she sees that these, uh, these negative interest rates, uh, negative real interest rates uh, that we have right now is persisting for a prolonged period of time going forward, which is uh, gold positive and bond negative. And so in comparing the two sizes of those markets, uh, you know, she said, look, there's only several trillion of uh, precious metals out there. And most of those are held in, in you know, the, the bank vaults of the world's central banks. So when you look at you know, the actual number, uh, you know, the amount of, of precious metals that uh, you know, investors can invest in, you're really only talking about a, a low single digit trillion dollar number. And that compares to the hundreds and hundreds of trillions that are in both the bonds and the stock market. And so her point is, is if you even have just a couple percentage points of capital moving from bonds and potentially equities over into the precious metals, um, you're just gonna see you know, bananas types of, of, of returns in the precious metals because you're, you're, you're swamping what is a relatively very small market. So I thought that was really interesting. Curious to hear your thoughts on that, Mike. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's, it's tiny. It's tiny. I think I read somewhere that you could you could put all the world's gold, you know, into like an Olympic sized swimming pool, you know, which is just mind blowing to me. It's a tiny market overall. Silver markets even tinier. So, yeah, I mean, the way that we look at gold and silver and everyone's got different reasons for it. We look at it as a hedge against um, runaway inflation. We look at it as a way to get out of the system, get out of the central banking kind of warped, deranged system. And you don't have to put all of your money in gold, although we've talked to plenty of people that have and they seem to sleep well at night. And frankly, I can't blame them. But what we are advocating is maybe, you know, anywhere between 10 to 20 percent of one's investable assets in gold and silver. And, you know, the way that I look at it anyway, is that gold and silver should do well over the next few years, just from the kind of the technical tailwind that they have. But they could do a lot better if we get a scenario that we think could happen, which is runaway money printing and hyperinflation. Just to be clear, I think that maybe zero to two years from now, we have deflationary forces and, and maybe lower prices and everything, maybe even gold short term. But long term, inflation, I think, sets in and gold could easily go to five or ten thousand dollars an ounce or more. So. If you've got 10% of your investable assets in gold, gold could easily go up tenfold. Everything else you have could go to zero. I'm not saying that will happen, but it could. And you know, you'll still be fine. You'll be back to your original purchasing power. So that's the first thing we want people to do is get a good position in gold and silver, gold and or silver. And um, and then we talk about what to do with the rest. Great. And um, you know. You're talking there about sort of your advice when you, when you talk to a new client. Um, 
uh, and for folks watching here who don't already know, uh, the folks here at New Harbor Financial System offer a free consultation to anybody who wants to talk with them, bounce ideas off of them. There's no commitment to working with them. They just want to help people who are trying to think through how to navigate you know, this, this rocky, uh, uncertain road ahead. They want to make sure that, that people are making the most informed decisions possible. Um, but I, I reiterate this because we had, we've had a lot of guests on recently that echoed this, but, but uh, Grant Williams and Stephanie Pomboy in the video we did with them a little over a week ago, um, uh, they really, I think, very well articulated this, which you know they see us moving back to an environment where active management is really going to become essential for capital preservation, let alone capital growth. Um, that uh, the upcoming volatility, um, the building risks in the system, that if they actually start expressing themselves. Um, you know, they agree with you, Mike, that, that we're highly likely to have some sort of deflationary impulse in the markets that brings prices down um, pretty, pretty substantially and, and maybe even pretty, pretty suddenly. And of course, we have other guests like, you know, certainly David Hunter and whatnot, who are predicting something even more violent than that. Um, but, you know, we're, we're as, as Lynn said earlier, um, she said that she sees a, 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 a rotation out of uh, growth stocks back into value. And um, it is also agrees that, uh, you know, kind of the easy ride that investors have had over the past 50, 10 to 15 years of just being able to put your money in the indices and watch them just predictably grow year after year, that that era is ending and uh, it's going to be a lot more turbulent. And so therefore, you're going to have to work a lot harder to find a real hidden value out there. Um, that the indices are not going to be kind of the guaranteed returners that they've been. And that to do that for most people, um, it requires a focus, a time demand, and really an expertise that they don't necessarily have right now. I mean, most regular people are just trying to get through life, you know, trying to get to their jobs, uh, support their families. Uh, they don't really have the time to do this. And so, you know, working with an active manager who, you know, understands both the risks and the opportunities that our guests like Lynn are talking about is going to not only kind of come back into vogue, but I, th I think it's going to have to become the way in which most people manage their wealth going forward because the rules that have worked for the past 10, 15 years are breaking down and likely not going to work going forward. Um, all right, Mike, um, I'll let you have the last word here, but as you guys look at the current markets, you know, as I look at what's happened since last week, it's kind of a whole lot of not much except just sort of a continuation of a, of a, a slow motion melt up here, it looks like. But I see that we're at about 4,300 on the S&P. Pretty much every index is at all-time highs right now. What do you have to say about the current market action? It's concerning, Adam. It's very concerning. <laughs> it's obviously concerning for, for you know, um, guys like me that are warning people all day long, um, every day, about how extreme and how dangerous this market is, and yet it doesn't have a care in the world. You know, we just hit another new all-time high this morning, you know, 4,300 or so. And it's happening on low volume with the least amount of participation really in history. You know, the last five days, I think, um, three or four of them out of the last five have had, you know, the lowest number of stocks hitting all-time highs while the broad indexes are hitting all-time highs. The breadth is pretty amazingly low. And, you know, the skew, which is a measure of kind of options and risk in the market is, is extremely high. And yet it doesn't matter. Nothing, nothing matters to this market. It just doesn't matter. And then, you know, we've seen uh, euphoria and fear of missing out going, you know, on six, seven, eight months in a row now. Small call option buyers have blown out all of the records. 
margin debt's at all-time high, valuations are at all-time high, and yet there's not a single care in the world. You know, and even diehard um, conservative people like myself that have been, you know, that 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 see the real data and have been concerned are getting are getting fatigued. You know, very fatigued by this, and we do our best to continue to just tell the same story because nothing has changed except this is the biggest bubble we'll ever see. I'm convinced of it. So one of these weeks will come on and there'll be something different. But for now, um, everything's just got a little bit more extreme than we than, than last time we talked. All right. Well, thanks for that recap, Mike. And, and I want to thank you on behalf of uh, all the viewers, because I get a lot of yeah, emails and private notes from folks um, being so grateful for bringing you and, and John on. Um, to deliver the reminder of the context of what's going on here. Because to your point, um, you know, as you said, sort of nothing seems to matter at this moment, right? Which makes people really question their judgment. You know, oh, am I, am I wrong? You know, are the rules different than, than my logic is telling me they should be? And uh, your reminders are very helpful in grounding us and saying there's nothing wrong with our logic. There's really something wrong in the market's logic right now. And we all know that, that saying that, that the market can remain uh irrational longer than you can remain solvent and i think there's a lot of people that are that are probably struggling with that right now um but i think the reality is is that it, nothing matters until it suddenly will right and that, that's sort of the reality of this market and we just want to make sure that people are keeping the big picture in mind uh so that they're positioned in an intelligent way that that when not if but when reality uh reasserts itself um that that they will not be uh, at risk of being undue collateral damage then. Um, and as we wrap up here, just a couple quick reminders. Um, if you want to figure out how to set up one of those free consultations with Mike and John and the team at New Harbor, just stick around to the end of this video. We tell you how to do that. That's coming up in just a second. Um, make sure if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to this video. That helps us get to this video channel. That helps us get great guests like Lynn Alden on. If you want to find out who's coming on in the future or suggest guests of your own, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Menlo Bear. And uh, one last reminder, if you want to get Lynn's uh, white paper that I talked about, uh, the one called the fraying of the U.S. global, uh, sorry, the, yeah, the fraying of the U.S. global currency reserve system, you can download that at wealthion.com slash currency, and that's totally free. All right, Mike, have a great week, and thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks, Adam. Have a great week. See you soon. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. 
If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching. Thank you.